0: Five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the
1: Falcon 9. Falcon 9 is Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is the Space Cube Podcast. My guest this week is Aram Daniel Kirkonian. Aram is an expert in space law and policy, a licensed Ontario lawyer, and the chief legal consultant of Artiker Space Consultants. Aram is currently pursuing his doctorate in space law at McGill University's Institute of Air and Space Law, focusing on Canada's regulatory framework related to space. Today we're going to discuss Canada's new space strategy, focusing in part on regulatory frameworks and how updating them will help Canada's space sector, especially the fast-changing commercial space sector. We'll touch on space mining, ground stations, rocket launches, and more. Recently, Aram wrote an opinion related to the new space strategy, which you can read on SpaceQ and which is linked from the show notes. Also of note, towards the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned the Lunar Exploration Accelerator Program funding. To clarify in what you'll hear, it is my understanding from sources that the funding for this program might come directly from Treasury Board authorities as opposed to the annual Canadian Space Agency budgetary process. This means that should the funds be approved and the authorities' votes by the Treasury Board will be completed by the end of June the funds would then be available for the Canadian Space Agency to use in this fiscal year and are not dependent on the outcome of the election. Listen in. Welcome, Aram, to the SpaceQ podcast. Thanks, Mark. Great to be here. All right. So, in response to the release of the new space strategy, you recently wrote an opinion that SpaceQ published that discusses regulatory reform for the space sector. The new space strategy says... Canada needs to create a modern regulatory framework, but doesn't go into specifics. Now, before we talk about anything specific, why don't we clarify the process so that our listeners understand how you can update an existing law and create new laws. It may be a little bit dry, but it's actually really important for the audience to understand how we're gonna get from point A to point B. So, can you describe the process of updating an existing law, and as an example, say the Remote Sensing Space Systems Act?
0: For sure, Mark. So uh, I think even before we get into that, um, I, I, there needs to be, uh, we need to draw a, a distinction between a law and a regulation. And I mean, some of the audience members might be familiar with that, but I think for our purposes, it's probably important just to highlight the, the key differences. And. And it'll as to you know, in terms of answering your question, um, there'll be a clear connection in a second. But laws are essentially the big picture pieces that really they lay out the objectives of the law, the scope of the law, uh, the else for creating it. They identify the different departments that will implement the law, um, and by doing this, they create this general framework uh, on how the lawmaker's desire issue to be addressed without getting too much into. It. Now, the regulations, on the other hand, these flow from the law. And they're much more specific to the actual issues being considered. So instead of talking overall objectives like you do in the law, the regulations talk specifically about uh, who the law applies to, what topic the law applies to and what circumstances it applies, how the rules interact with other laws and regulations, Uh, and uh, keeping in mind, of course, the regulations can only address issues that fall within the scope of the general law. So the reason I brought this up is because laws and regulations being similar yet different, uh, the differences come out in terms of the ways it's created and they're updated. So laws are created, they can be removed, they can be amended, um, altered, all these kinds of things, they have to go through Parliament and they have to be voted on. Regulations, on the other hand, are, are essentially a subset of are uh, a subset of a specific law. And so a minister who's tasked with essentially being in charge of, of implementing that law or applying that law has the opportunity to make changes to the regulations. Um, I don't want to say unilaterally because that probably has of connotation, but more individually. And so you don't need to go through a parliamentary process to update regulations. And so when it comes to something like the remote sensing uh, the Remote Sensing Spaces Act, the SA, um, it's possible to amend, to amend the law and to, you know, add a new section or remove an old section. You can also amend the regulations. And usually, when it comes to amending regulations, it would be up to in this case the minister that's in charge is the minister of foreign affairs, um, and they'd be able to do it a little bit more efficiently. So, uh, so you know, in answering your, your, your broad question of you know how do we create a new law, how do we create a new law? It's really a, a question of a parliamentary perspective, a parliamentary process. And then there's the flip side of that, which is the you have an established law, the regulations that fall from within that law can be, um, uh, can be updated a little bit more efficiently by the, the individual in charge, which is usually the minister.
1: Okay, so that was uh, very clear. Now, in terms of um, the time frame for creating a new law, so let's say Canada wanted to create a new law. Uh, general outer space uh, law, which is something we'll t- discuss a little bit more later on, but if we wanted to create a new law, um, what's uh, how, what's the time frame for something like that? So I, I really think that's the million dollar question.
0: And I mean, it's tough to provide an estimate in terms of how long it takes to do any of these kinds of things. And as a lawyer, I'm hesitant to talk about abstracts, but fortunately for us, I'm also an academic, and this is kind of where we make our loop. So I'll say this. It really depends on... How how long it takes for the government to go through the necessary steps before it creates a law. And a lot of times that will include things like the government first recognizing, acknowledging that a new law needs to be created. Um, depend, it will depend how long it takes for the government to conduct its internal uh, review processes, how long it spends consulting with the public. Uh, after that, how long it takes drafting the law and getting it through the, the, the appropriate uh different de- departments that would be affected by this law and then on top of that even getting it through parliament where it's finally voted on so when it comes to any of these different stages it's really a guess i mean if it's if it's a, a very very pressing issue i mean there's no reason that these things can't be accomplished you know within a year if it's something that's you know uh, uh, kind of a pianist idea or it's something that's aspirational more than absolutely necessary tomorrow um, it could take much longer so when it comes to something like the Outer Space Act or, or the pr- a proposed Outer Space Act, it's not entirely clear as to how long this will happen. Um, you know, for my purposes, considering this is the, you know forming the base of my doctoral studies, I'm hoping it's not done in the next two or three years. Otherwise, I'm going to have to change my topic. But realistically, um, it, it, it's unclear how long it would possibly take.
1: Now, <clears throat> if there was um, a need to move, well... I'm just trying to understand from a parliamentary perspective, because you have to take into account the politics of everything. Absolutely. So, if the government was to, uh, they're certainly not going to propose a new law of this nature now, because, well, we're heading into an election. Um, and then once the election is done, whoever the new government is, then we'll see where things go. If it isn't the Liberals, we don't even know if the space strategy will be enacted, uh, let alone the uh, funding materialize uh, to, uh, you know, do the um, lunar gateway and, and the moon plans that that are there. Um, although from what I understand, the uh, lunar accelerator uh, program, that funding is already uh, uh, going to be there. It's not something that needs uh, uh, the government to actually uh, go through the regular process. Um, so with respect to, to the time frame, uh, in terms of this outer space law, if we do actually get one, we're, realistically we're talking many years
0: uh probably yeah i think the safest bet to say is that it i mean it it, you know uh nearly certainly won't happen by the end of this year um i would say 2020 would probably a stretch i mean maybe if we're being uh, optimistic 2021 would probably be an early target date possibly again i mean i have to say that it depends on how much the current government if they are the government future how much time they've actually spent considering these issues um, so if they have spent the past three or four years already conducting internal discussions and reaching out to different departments and saying, well, how does this affect you? What kinds of things would you need to consider or should we consider for a new loan? If all that legwork is done, then maybe it won't take uh, so many years. But it's really unclear as to where they are in this entire process.
1: Now, the good news is for everybody that's out there is that we can actually make do without this new law in place, we can update existing regulations and, uh, and go from there. Um, And we'll talk about that in a second. Now, Mm -hmm. one of the things I wanted to actually address before we really get into some detail is some of what was actually said in this new space strategy with respect to modernizing space regulatory frameworks. It said... This work will examine whether the regulatory system is keeping pace with emerging technologies and new business models in the space sector and whether it is enabling innovative space companies to prosper in Canada. Now, I was under the impression we were already doing that and we know what the answer to that question is. (laughs) So... um, uh, and of course, the uh, Remote Sensing Space Systems Act, which is reviewed every five years and which was last reviewed in 2016 and released in 2017, uh, mm-hmm. didn't that already discuss this in part?
0: So, I think I'll answer the second part regarding the RSSSA review first. So, the the, the RSSSA focused on whether that specific law, the Remote Sensing Space Systems Act, whether that was applicable and effective 10 years after its creation. So. I think, by and large, the answer was yes. It's doing the job it's supposed to insofar as the job is uh, regulating remote sensing. Now, one thing we discovered in doing this review was that there were certain kinds of space activities that us as the re- didn't really believe were traditional remote sensing that were nonetheless being regulated by the remote sensing act simply because there was no other legal vehicle under which to regulate them, and that's why we, decide- we You know, we discussed and we talked about the need. Uh, of a potential outer space act and so the creation of outer space act go in many different ways and that would you know be a discussion for uh, an entirely different podcast but really i think one thing to note is that there are outer, a general outer Space Act doesn't necessarily have to you know supersede a remote sensing act or it doesn't have to substitute it they can they can live uh, side by side as well. and the idea is that an activity that is technically remote sensing but currently regulated under remote sensing because there isn't any other law to regulate it would be removed from that remote sensing regulatory process and put under this general law. And so, what I would say here is that in fact, before even conducting this uh, the the RAA review, my co-author and I were tasked with Global Affairs Canada about it was probably late 2015, early 2016 on almost providing a general sense of the state of uh, the state of space and the state of space activities and the laws that apply to that. And that was a private report. It wasn't meant for uh, public distribution, I think. But we submitted that, again, I can't remember exactly when, but it was, you know, we'll say around uh, in 2016 um, latest. And really one of the recommendations that, you know, that I'll say there kind of generally is that we t- talked about it, the idea of a general Space act. And so when we were conducting this review of the RSSSA, we, we, you know, we were able to pinpoint an example or one issue, which was. Why the Article, let's say, which does a fine job of of applying itself to remote sensing activities, it was overextended, and it was because we were still lacking this other uh, general law. So, you know, in that sense, um, answer is kind of yes and no. I mean, I think personally, I think the evidence is clear that there needs to be a new regulatory framework. the The current existing framework um, is limited in the sense that it really only applies to a few particular activities, uh, remote sensing being one of them. Um, but as things change and as we, as we really, I mean, we want things to change. We want people and companies to be operating in space and doing different activities. Um, but the, the the legislative framework or regulatory framework just isn't there for those just yet.
1: Yeah. And I, I bring this up because that particular uh, paragraph in the space strategy, um, you know, uh, makes me think that, this will definitely slow things down in terms of getting some updates because, well, you know, they're just asking this question now. When you're right, yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, so based on our,
0: yeah, based on our. I mean, the, the earlier comments we made. I mean, so that language suggests to me that they, in fact, have not spent the last few years considering this question. Well, if they haven't they had the answer? They're not showing their hand, which you know, I'm not sure to do that. And, so. and it's interesting
1: yeah. to note that, um, you know. The policy wonks, if you will, the policy people within government, uh, there definitely are some, and there have been uh, groups of them that have been working on various issues related to space policy uh, updates. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a it's a question of where you're at within government in terms of what you think is being addressed or isn't being addressed. So, on the high mm-hmm. level, at the higher levels, it would appear that they're not quite at the same level that the policy wonks are at in terms of, you know, Hey, by the way, we have been doing this and so forth and so on.
0: Exactly. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. You're right.
1: Now going back to your opinion, you said currently only four types of activities can be licensed in Canada, radio communications, telecommunications, broadcasting, and remote sensing, because Canada only has four explicit laws related to space. So, do all these laws need to be updated and what order would you update them?
0: So that's the question. I think it's really going to depend on the approach we want to take. So uh, I'll address the, the four laws specifically. So, so the reason I said that there are only these four laws is as you, those are the only uh, clear legislative acts of parliament that discuss the specific space activity. And by what I mean by that is, if you want to do telecommunications, you know you look under telecommunications law and you apply for a license, and it's the same thing for broadcasting and remote sensing. And then you also use a license under Radio Communications Act because you communicate with your site, with your, with your space asset, um, and you need to have the, the proper license to be able to do that. Now, if you want to do anything that's outside of these laws, you would need to apply for a special license, which the framework just doesn't exist yet. But if you're looking at your telecommunications, for example, the law, as it stands, functions relatively well. Personally, and and I'm not sure, you know, you might be able to correct me on this, but I haven't heard too much outrage from the telecommunications industry on how the telecommunications act is outdated and not working properly and uh, isn't really their need of of being reformulated or or updated. And the same thing could be said about their broadcasting and remote sensing. When they're looking at their specific subject matter they do a relatively okay job. Of course, they can be, they can prove, I mean, there's all sorts of examples we can point to, but by and large, their effects are, uh, on those particular activities um, are acceptable, if I may put it that way. Now, when we get to the question of, if you're doing something that falls fairly really within one of these activities, how do you get licensed? And that's the question of, you know, where does the General Space Act uh, come from? Or what, what, what role would it play? So, if we question, you know, do these laws that exist need to be updated? Um, they can be updated. I don't think there's really a, a huge pressing concern. The, the issues we raised in the thing, I think, were very fair and valid. And I personally haven't done a, a, a very deep dive into either telecommunications or the Broadcasting Act, so I can't comment um, directly to those right now. But again, I mean, they do their job relatively well. Um, but one of the other issues we have to consider is if we do, in fact, create something like a general space act, are we going to include the, no, the, the activities that fall under telecommunications, broadcasting, and remote sensing, and put them within a spec, or are they going to exist kind of side-by-side side with this new catch-all, uh, if I may call it that, a catch-all out of the And those are the kinds of questions that we need to address. And, you know, if, depending on if it's yes or, or no, there might be questions as to which ones we update first or, or later. Um, at this point, and if I had to the rank them, I would probably say we should update the remote sensing one first, because there are some um some some particular uh i would say, uh, uh i don't want to say issues because i think that's a little bit too strong there's some shortcomings in the law i'll put it that way um but again all these issues i think we can address in terms of there's a second question which is are these laws being implemented appropriately? so aside from what the law says and the, way the law um, works is the law being applied properly is it being implemented properly and that usually ends up being a resource question do you have the right people on the job do they have a funding to get to you know to to do what it is that they're expected to do and those sorts of things. So maybe the question, you know, maybe the answer is the laws necessarily be updated, but the way it implemented need to be kind of, uh, you know, further supported with more dollars.
1: You also state in your article that most countries have one law that oversees all space activities. Can you provide a couple of examples and how Canada might adopt something similar?
0: Yeah. So I, I think uh, the UK is probably the best example. So, they have what's called, I mean, you know, its no, uh, it's not, it's called the Outer Space Act. That's that's the law in the, in the United Kingdom that addresses uh, space activities. And essentially what it says is that if you are a UK citizen or you have be an entity based in the UK and you were doing something in space, you need the permission of the minister to do it. And the permission of the minister comes through the form of license, very similar to the way we do things in Canada. The difference, however, is that in Canada, like I mentioned before, you can only get a license if you're doing broadcasting, telecommunication, or remote sensing. If you said, say you wanted to go and you have to mine resources on the moon. In the UK, the outer space, you would go and you would tell the minister, I want to mine minerals. Or I want to mine resources, I should say. And the minister would either say yes or no if you you like in Canada, you don't have anywhere to go to ask for that permission. And that's really the the you know the the main issue between having Individual laws, activity-specific laws, and having kind of a catch-all general law. And so the activity-specific ones are are fine; they get the job done. Like I mentioned, they're doing they're doing just fine with the with the existing laws that we have. But as soon as with activity that falls outside of them, uh, you don't have anywhere to go as a as an operations person. Um, And and France has a similar system. They they have the law on space activities, and that one is geared a little bit more towards. Uh, launch services because of their spaceport in in South America in the French, in French Guiana, um, and so. But it's the same principle. If you want, if you're a French uh, citizen or a French resident, you want to do something in space, you have to go and seek permission, and you would apply through this law of space activity. So it kind of ties back to your first question, or uh, in in terms of the way addressed in the difference between a of regulation. So in the UK, they have a very broad law, which are Outer Space Act General Outer Space Act. And if you want to do something specific, you apply for the appropriate license to the regulations, which can be tailored a lot more to the particular activities um, you're undertaking.
1: Now, you mentioned something there which caught my interest, uh, and, that, and that was um, uh, mining. And, mm-hmm. you know, mining is not something that's going to happen today. It's a, it's a longer term thing. Uh, and there, a lot needs to be done between now and then in terms of technology, funding, uh, and the rest of it. But recently, the Canadian uh, Minerals Plan, Mining and Minerals Plan, uh, was put forward by Department of Natural Resources, uh, and in it, it had some uh, uh, mention of space mining as something to, you know, start thinking about now for the future. So, do you think they're going about it in the right way in terms of, okay, so here's our plan, it's, it's, we need to start thinking about this, and in terms of thinking about this, we're going to lay the groundwork so that we can get the regulations in place so that when the time actually is there, when we can actually go out and actually, you know, we have the technology, the funding and whatnot, ret- that the laws uh, are in place.
0: I, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think any time you have a, a government body that's being uh, forward-looking and proactive, I, I think they're on a the big right track. It, I, personally, I think having a proactive approach, especially when it comes to uh, a field that is going to be dominated by uh, commercial actors, right, by private companies that are doing things, they like to push the envelope. Um, I think you need a forward-looking approach in that so If the Ministry of Natural Resources is looking into how space mining might uh, develop in the future, and they're starting to put in place or consider different kinds of regulations um, that would affect space mining, I think it's absolutely the right way to do it. Um, the question of course has to come, when would they actually implement or when would they create these laws? Is it going to be on the cusp of an entity, anything that they can do uh, space mining? Or is it going to be earlier on in the process to say, listen. We recognize that space mining is an industry that may come about in 5, 10, 15 years. We want to make it clear that Canada as a country, we are going to be supporting our uh, businesses that want to be involved in space activities. And in an effort to demonstrate that, we're going to tell you the kind of guidelines that are going to be in place. And so I think that does two things. First, it provides clarity. It, it demonstrates that Canada is on board with something like this. And, and it provides those businesses with the certainty, the legal certainty, to know that they're at, these will be sanctioned, that will be allowed, right? Because if the government is, you know, sit quiet on an issue like space mining, and you have all these companies invest money uh, into developing the technology, and then right on the cusp of launch, they find out that actually the government of Canada is opposed to space mining, then it kind of undermines everything they've been doing up until that point. So I think in the sense that the government body can be proactive and forward-thinking in in creating the regulations or creating these frameworks uh, that would apply to entities, to private entities, to commercial entities that want to do these activities, I think is absolutely a step in the right direction. And I think that's what the government needs to be taking, that approach of this entire space and, and space activity.
1: All right. So it's my understanding in talking to uh, to policy people at various governments' departments that there's a desire by some of them to update regulations and that multi-department efforts uh, are underway. Do you have any insights into this?
0: I really I did, Mark. Unfortunately, I think you're probably better suited having your to the ground than I am. Honestly. What I will say, <laughs> when, I, when I've spoken about these issues, uh, I mentioned this is, you know, the, what we're talking about now is kind of the, the central focus of, of my doctoral studies. And so when I make presentations about these things, you know, every once in a while, they're a government, uh, um, you know, bureaucrats. Um, who's involved in these kinds of, will, will speak to me personally, not on, you know, not on their official uh, um, kind of side of things, but they'll, speak, and they'll, they'll mention that they believe that these are the kinds of questions that need to be uh, addressing. Uh, oftentimes, I hear that they are thinking, uh, and it's not clear at what level. I mean, you mentioned before where the policy wonks um, recognize that these are issues that need to be addressed, but whether or not the people higher up are you know, paying as much attention is another question. Uh, but I think the people that are in the day-to-day uh, you know, uh, aspect of uh, dealing with these kinds of issues are aware. I mean, uh, it, it, it's simply a matter of the fact that the existing structure allows for certain things, but is a little bit hamstered by the way it's designed. I mean, it's just that, that could have been an intentional um, method of, of creating uh, the framework that exists, uh, that that could have been intentional years ago when it was put in place, or it could be a side effect of, you know, not having enough foresight. Or uh, I guess, you know, it, it's possible that there wasn't enough uh, imagination that went into what could happen in space. But it, it, the reality is we have the system we have, and it has limitations built into it. Um, and the people on the ground, the policies the, you know, the bureaucrats with these kinds of things, um, they're aware of that.
1: All right. Uh, Let's take a look at a couple of specific examples of issues that uh, uh, need to be dealt with. Uh, We had Planet Labs, uh, which had a ground station licensing issue that would normally take three months, but took three years. In talking to Planet Labs about this, they don't think the problem is solved in terms of Global Affairs Canada having uh, a system in place to deal with the type of issue that they had. So uh, do you have any thoughts on how to address, address the, the, the issue that the, that they experienced?
0: So uh, I mean, without having a uh, insider knowledge in what happened, I mean, just knowing from uh, the public discussions and stuff, it, it, it's unclear. Um, what the real issue was, right? Because the, the remote sensing space systems act and the regulations, they allow for the licensing of ground stations. We know this because, um, it's in there, and it's right there in the regulations. But they've also licensed other ground stations. The question is, why did it take so long for this? Station? Why did it take so long for Planet to get that station in a big license? Um, and as you mentioned, three years is a lot longer th- than it should have uh, taken. I think there's a aspirational six-month target in the regulation, which, for to my understanding, by all accounts, it's usually But it years just seems, you know, just uh, if I can, um, you know, by any stretch. So. The question is, you know, why did it take so long? It's possible that the document or, or the, the the licensing framework that, uh, and the guidelines that the government demanded uh, wasn't met by Planet. Uh, but I don't know if that's the truth. I mean, I don't know if that's the issue. It's probably, more than anything, a resource issue. I mean, you know, you have a, a lot of different companies wanting to do a lot of different things. When it comes to remote sensing, it's growing in popularity. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, the funding department for those uh, for those regulators uh, has not increased. Um, and at the same time, you know, it's the, the, question of if it was a funding issue, then at what point do we address it? Because Planet made clear that they were able to, to acquire their, um, their station license in other countries far more quickly. And so Canada has a geographic position to, to have ground stations, but if it's going to take forever to get licenses, then, you know, we're kind of falling behind. Um, so whether it was a, a question in terms of the legal framework, it doesn't seem to me that was the case. Yeah. regulations that were the minister had the right to uh, change the regulations or asking for um, information from that you know no other country was looking for then maybe we should look at that okay why were these regulations um why were they demanding certain kinds of information that took so long to produce and to prepare and to uh and to license but if it's a simple you know staffing or resource based question maybe we have to look at increasing the budget for this regulatory office
1: well, if I remember correctly, the RSSSA um review that you did did say that staffing was uh, an issue within Global Affairs Canada uh and Absolutely that it was, yeah. yeah and that more funding was needed. But I think I think part of the issue here had to do with the type of data that planet was um receiving. Um because, you know, uh, Kepler Communications out of Toronto also applied for a license and uh, and built a dish at the same location, and yet there is materialized, I think, within a year. So oh, I, think, okay. I, I, think, I think part of it has to do with the type of remote sensing data that, that is actually um, coming into to the Planet facility and then being from there going basically down, down to the U.S. Um, okay. So I, I think that was part of the issue. It was part of a security issue. Um, and that's
0: fair, and and that I mean you you make a good point with the security. I mean, part of the the R triple S A part of its obligation as a as a law or for these later is to ensure that Canada's national security interests and its interests generally are not undermined by a particular activity. So the question there, and this was a question that we add, that we raised, is that well. It's national security is always an interesting one because everybody agrees that it's important, but how do you know what the national security concerns are if they're secret, right? So there's it, it's a really difficult um, uh, kind of concept to to accept as the person that's undergoing evaluation when you can't see what the concerns actually are on the other side. Now that said, um, the types of care that I've been just understanding the difference in terms of the business uh, models of of. And Kepler, um, you're right. I mean, if they were if they were uh, downloading to the script station different kinds of information and the data, um, it's entirely possible that that was one of the things. Um, again, and one of my recommendations in that review was consider this distinction between processed and raw data, and um, you know, it, it, that might be something that we should consider or that the government should be considering as well.
1: Yeah, I just wonder if if Planet was a Canadian company. Uh, would they have had the same uh, issues or not? It's—I uh, don't expect you to answer that, but it's—it's it's an, it's an interesting sure, question. Yeah,
0: I don't know if I'd be able to. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. So uh, another example is launching rockets in Canada. Uh, you had mentioned the four laws that exist, uh, and none of those. Uh, deal with, uh, directly with launching um, rockets within Canada. And it's my understanding there are people in the Department of Transportation working on this, and that a workaround might be available that would allow launches while a new law is being developed. Um, Do you see that as a possibility? Um, see a reason why it wouldn't be the case. So, I mean, uh, what I would say is, Airspace
0: and kind of, you know, activity in Canada, at least, is regulated by the the Air, the Aeronautics Act. That's the law. And then there are the appropriate aeronautics regulations that kind of fall within that. And when it comes to rocket launches, to the best of my understanding, and I haven't done a really deep dive into this yet, but to the best of my understanding, there's the regulations that deal with rockets essentially say, that if you are going to conduct a rocket launch, you have to be in accordance with the standards of your cold rocket association. Um, or your local rocket club, and I mean, you know, that, that really isn't uh, a very uh, high threshold. I imagine it's not very detailed. It's, it's not really clear in terms of what it is actually, um, uh, you know, required. Now, when you're launching rockets in the sea, that's that, that kind of an idea probably uh, uh, works. Um, but if you're trying to do what maritime launches do uh, on the east coast, you would probably need uh, a robust regulatory framework, and I think that's true. You know, definitely if you're the government, but also if you're maritime launch. I mean, you want to know that what you're doing is sanctioned by the government, uh, that you are following, you know, the appropriate um, uh, protocols or, 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 or discussions or requirements that the government has in place. So uh, in that sense, I think maybe uh, amending the current regulations of the Aeronautics Act that deal with rocket launches, I think that's a workaround. Um, I don't know if it's a permanent fix, especially if you end up with multiple rocket companies. You know, I, I don't know if that's a reality or not uh, in the future. But in terms of a temporary uh, fix, uh, I don't see what Department of Transportation, I believe is the department in charge of the Aeronautics Act anyway, um, wouldn't be able to amend the necessary regulations to give a little bit more robustness to this idea of launching a rocket.
1: Yeah, I, I, the, the the regulations that are in place really didn't take into account a company launching Orbital launches from Canada, and exactly. let alone um, having multiple facilities uh, across Canada. And I think the day will come that there will mm-hmm. be multiple facilities across Canada. So there, there needs to be uh, some sort of legislation um, that covers the, the the whole industry.
0: Absolutely, I, 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 yeah. So I think you're entirely right. I think down the road you would probably need uh, you know a, a more advanced legal framework. Um. In the meantime, though, it's kind of a, a stock measure. I don't see why uh, many regulations wouldn't. I mean, that said, I'm not a rocket scientist, and you know, there's a reason I'm not a scientist because I probably don't understand. I, w- <laughs> I wouldn't understand all the all the complications that go into a rocket launch. Uh, so, from a you know a thirty thousand foot view, if you will, uh, I think an amending regulation might work. All
1: right. Are there any other thoughts uh, you'd like to share on 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 these issues?
0: Um, you know what? Yeah. So one thing that I would like to bring up. So. A lot of times when I get into these discussions or when I'm making a, a, a you know, a, a, when I make a presentation, I always get questions of, of, you know, well, why do we need these laws and why do we need these regulations? And I mean, I think that's a, a general, um, it's a general statement that I, you know, can apply across the board to different industries. I think generally speaking from a personal uh, a response was that, you know, laws and regulations are, are good for a number of reasons. I think when it comes to space in particular, um, we need these, kind of, you know, we need the government over, and I know that's probably something that, you know, a lot of your listeners are going to be up in arms about, but I will say from a legal perspective, from a strict legal analysis, Canada as a country is responsible and liable legally for any activities that happen in space. And yes, that's, you know, daunting. And yes, that's a, a lot of, um, a lot of responsibility on the country to make sure that everybody that's doing something in space follows the appropriate um, guidelines. The reason is that I personally want a a, a neighbor developing a space activity, launching it into space and causing havoc, also destruction, and then me as a taxpayer having to pay for it or being responsible for it. Um, I think that's just, you know, from that perspective alone, just from a, um, a, a strict legal analysis, the reason we need the regulations in place is to make sure that not everybody can do what they want in space and B that there is some sort of a, uh, regulatory framework or a certain standard, um, that applies to people conducting activities in space. Um, and I think, you know, it's the same reason that Canada should want other countries to enforce the same kinds of regulations in, in their own domestic frameworks, because we're all sharing, space. you know, it's, it's It's the idea that everything is nothing is stopping in space. Things are constantly orbiting. There's a whole bunch of traffic and congestion. You want everybody to be following the same kinds of rules. We implement those domestically, and we need to make sure to the extent that we can, other countries are implementing those domestically as well. And that's that's an entirely different, a second different uh, podcast discussion on you know kind of the basis for that and the reason why that exists and the why it is it is the way it is. Um, But at the end of the day, I mean, the regulations aren't. Necessarily a hindrance on commercial development, they can be if they're done wrong, if they're done inappropriately. Absolutely, they can be a hindrance. But I think if done properly, uh, with the appropriate foresight that we talked about before, can really uh, you know be a boon for the industry. They can really help out. They can establish that uh, the the consistency, establish the clarity, uh, and you know, I really help uh, commercial based activities take something that I'm obviously you know really interested in. It's just a question of how we get there.
1: All right. So what you've done is you've set yourself up to come back on the show at some point. <laughs> um, thank you, Aram, for being my guest today and for providing some insights into this, uh, uh, into these uh, regulatory issues. Um, we'll get you back on uh, once uh, we see some progress being made.
0: All right. Perfect. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate you know having me on and just the work that you do at SpaceQ. I mean, I think it's really important for for everybody in the community. Uh, to know where to go when there's breaking news related to space. So
1: it's it's, uh, it's, and I'm honored to be on. Thanks. All right. Well, thank you. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the SpaceQ podcast. If you like this show, please support us on Patreon. The address is patreon.com slash SpaceQ. We really appreciate feedback. And to help us, we ask you consider to write a review on Apple Podcast or Google Play Music, if you're so inclined. If you have any comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca, or you can post them on our website at spaceq.ca, where you'll find an archive of each episode. If you send me a comment by email, I'll write back to you as soon as I can. On Twitter, you can follow us at Canada in Space. And if you use Facebook, you can find all our articles and links to the podcast on our page, The Space Queue. If you like the show, please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app.